Hello, I'm Matt Price, and this is Conversations with Criminals. This is part three of a chat that I had with Terry Ellis. I put it out in three sections, mainly because I wanted time to digest everything that Terry told me, and of course, to get my head around this incredible book that he wrote about his time spent at Grendon Therapeutic Prison. I want to say thank you to Terry for not only his company, but for really inspiring me to think in a slightly different way. There are lots of questions that going forward, I will be asking. And I think they're really important questions. In today's part of the chat, we start off with Terry talking about his first day of therapy at Grendon. How he got through that, I have no idea. He then talks about going back to a mainstream prison from Grendon and just looking at things differently and helping other prisoners. And last of all, he talks about what he's doing now. I really, really enjoyed this and I hope you do too. This is Terry Ellis. So, you know, I was, I, would, I just continued to be my normal self. I had arguments, but I never hit anyone. I never got out of my pram. I, you know, I just carried on. I became um, what the wing foreman. Um, and then the screws come to me one day and say, you know what? You've been a proper little shit since you arrived here. You know, you wouldn't go into the office. You know, you wouldn't communicate with the officers at first. You wouldn't do this at first. You wouldn't mix with these people. You wouldn't talk to them and blah, blah, blah. So one thing that we've actually seen you is that you were able to take constructive criticism on. You was able to work through it. And you was able to talk to these people after the 12 weeks. I was talking to all of them. So, because I, that, even though they were in for the most heinous crimes, I actually started to humanise them on a different level because I started speaking to them and I realised that even the guy that killed his sister... You know, he loved her and he had a mum and everything else. The guy that raped someone that he had a mum and dad, you know, and he had a family. So, you know, so there was a part of them that was really deviant and you know, repulsed me, but there was actually quite a lot of their, their makeup and who they were. It was actually like me. They were normal. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I, and, I, and I was operating, I was talking to them on a completely different level and I found it quite fascinating, you know, to, to listen to them, you know, so that, 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 that intrigued me. Um, up until this point, I'd never we had I, we hadn't done any therapy. We went we went on to groups. We had, had little little groups where we talked about our crimes, about our fans. But we were not we were encouraged not to go too deep because we may not get through to the main wing because the whole idea of the deduction process was was getting through to the main wing. Now there's no point in opening up because that would open up the can of worms if you if they couldn't shut it down again. Yeah. So we were just told to talk, you know, and over that twelve week period. I, 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 I learned things about everyone and, and I got more angry and more repulsed at them and as human beings. And I never realised that we were capable of, of so many bad things. You know, my head was like filled up with, with nightmares um, for, for weeks and months in that place. You know, it was, it was a battle, a constant battle of should I stay, should I go, should I listen to anything else? Because it comes to the point where you just can't fill your head with any more. But, you know, I knew that once I got onto the wing, it was going to get worse. But you know what? It came to the 12 weeks and they came in to see me and they said, you know what? I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Good news is um, you, you're going over to Sea Wing. The bad news is you're going tomorrow because we're going to miss you. And that was it. And then I, I you know, they, I said my goodbyes to a few friends that I'd met over that period and I was off to the new wing. And then, and then it started. Yeah. Real therapy. Was it hard saying goodbye to them? Like you mentioned about sort of saying goodbye to people in. I think I, I think I think um, out of all the people that I've had to say goodbye to, this was the easiest. Yeah. 
you know, I'd, I'd known them. I'd, you know, I, I felt more towards the, the officers yeah. because I got to know them as human beings and I'd not humanised them. I, I, you know, you, I, I don't think there's anything that, that may be linking with any of them guys, you know, on, on, a, on a human level. You know, there were parts I understood and there were parts that I, I, I could I could understand, but I couldn't link it in on an emotional level or any, any other level apart from, you know, what I wrote in the book, you know. But, yeah, that was it, you know. It was, I was actually glad to get off there. So then, then, then therapy starts, and how, how how was that? How was the? Can you remember the first? Yeah, I remember. I remember, I remember going on a, on a group, and um, I think my first two groups were probably the worst I've ever seen in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first time I went on the group, um, you go onto the wing, and I, I got settled into my new room, and it was great because the view was was fantastic, um, and I thought, oh, this is great. It's great to be here. Uh, it was like one flew over the cooker's nest. There was music in the background. There was people walking around all smiling. And I thought, this, is, this ain't too bad. Civility was oozing out of the place. You know, I can remember this, you know, then I, I got introduced to everyone. And then they said, you're, you're going to group two or whatever it was at that time. And um, and then I, I walked into the group. I was there early that day. And I thought I'd get there early so and so I could see everyone coming in and see my new compadres or my new grandanites, as they were called. Yeah. And and then they, they came in and they all sat around and... And I don't know, I, I was trying to work out what they were in for, you know, and everything else. And, you know, they never eyeing me up. You know, we had a little pleasantries, hello, my name's Terry, blah, blah. And then, and then the facilitator came, the door was shut, and the game was commenced. Uh, we, they then took a minute, it's called a minute. Everyone then said, like, introduce yourself. And, and because I was new, they had to introduce themselves to me and their crimes. Right. Yeah, it dawned on me again for the second time in there that, I was around some really bad people. The first guy uh, was in for killing his, his girlfriend's kid. Another another uh, another one was in there for uh, raping a, a, a woman with her two kids sitting next to her in the car. Someone stabbed someone in the face and in the heart, killed him. Another guy had, had, had killed another woman, and it just went on and on. And there was no one in there that was like me, so so I listened to him, and then. That was day one, and I, you know, they they done their therapy, and there was one guy called Balau, a black guy. Um, but he killed a kid. He killed a little boy, and, he, and he, you know, he, he was saying uh, uh, he killed this boy, and and how he, he busted his spleen when he punched him because he used to torture him for weeks. Him and his brother, you know, when he, when his girlfriend used to go out, and and this one particular time he punched him so hard in, in his spleen, uh, he said the look between him and and the kid was like, "What have you done? What what's just happened?" And then the kid died. And I was and I was sitting there thinking, fucking hell, man, what am I doing here again? And then the next day, I was so angry from that period of that, you know, listening to them. I went back to my cell and I thought, am I really going to do this? Am I really going to go through two years or three years of this shit? Anyway, so and that was the first day, and I thought, this is carry on. And the next day, I went in there, and he came into the group crying, this, this guy, Bernal, saying that they made a mistake with his sentence and everything else, and. They was all patting him on the back, saying, "Oh God, you know, you know." He's saying, "I need, I commit, I nearly commit suicide, and I've done this before when I got my sentence. I got, I've got, I'm now on dialysis. I'm not doing this, and, and I just." They went all round, and 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 all of a sudden, the guy said, "Have you got anything to say?" I said, "Yeah." I said, "This guy's a proper fucking piece of shit." I said, "You're a scumbag." I said, "You actually got the audacity to sit in front of us here in this room, talking about you've been given an extra three years when you've destroyed." life you've killed a little kid and you've destroyed his brother's future the mother's future and everything and you're you're talking about a couple of fucking years you piece of shit anyway i, I tore into him because that's all i knew yeah um, at least i never hit him 
And with that, one of the other guys actually said, you know, Sam, you're right. You're a fucking, you know, you're, 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 you're this. And started talking. And then, and then, and then, and then another guy was sitting next to me. He said, no, this is wrong. And he, he, he got up and, and went out. Another guy got out and said, I'm not doing therapy no more. And then, and then they all sort of shut down and everything. And then he then steamed out of the room and then the psychologist looked at me and said, um, he said, how do you think that went? I said, I thought it went all right, the Germans. And he said, next time, don't, don't swear. He said, because you're allowed to say exactly what you want to say, but don't swear next time. Because you know what? When you swear and it comes across aggressive, then you're, you're going to shut him down. And that's what's happened. I said, okay, I'll remember it for next time. But since, and so after that, it sort of changed the group because now it became honest. Yeah. You know, so I don't mind going in there. So a part of me was empowered at that one moment that I'm going to walk in this room and I'm going to give them all, I'm going to give it to all of them. In respect, they gave it back to me as a criminal. So, so he actually done me so much good because now they were in a position to tell me about my mannerisms, about my criminal code, about everything, and they gave it to me, and I gave it back to them. And it was an honest, an honest therapy group because we then started to gel as a group. So over that you know two year period I was with them, we actually became really good friends, believe it or not, uh, because we we. We learned to trust each other. We learned to tell the honest truth. We learned to link in, whether it was alcohol, drink, abusive uh, relationships, abusive parents. These guys have been molested. They've been molested by their families. They've been beaten. There was a, there was a connection with all of us psychologically yeah. that made us who we were. And there was a there's a camaraderie between us that that made us a group, which was which was on so many levels uh, crazy, but it worked. Um, and I saw angry men really angry men uh, get rid of that anger I saw people start instead of screaming and shouting start articulating I started seeing men um, instead of using their fists to, to start conflict resolution you know talking about their thoughts and feelings and their emotions and I see the change in that two year period of all of them you know I've, I honestly believe you know it works because it, it you know I saw the change in people so I can only go you know as much as it yeah. pains me to say this it worked on so many levels, but it's not the cure for recidivism. It's not the cure or the medicine, because if it was, it would be rolled out across the prison system. And unfortunately, statistics have shown that that there's still the same reoffending rate from an ex grandinite as there is from a mainstream prisoner. The only difference was is that someone who'd been degressed at Grendon was less likely to self-harm, commit suicide, attack a prison officer, or attack another member of the community. Right. So there was a change there. So you know what? Even that change was was fabulous. It was was great, yeah. you know, because it it works. There was a, there was there was there was also a lot of behaviours that I saw from certain members of the community that I felt they were they were then being empowered to be more proficient predators because yeah. they were learning tools to actually make them better at what they were doing. But that's only my opinion. Sure. I never saw them people engage. I saw the perception of change because they had to prove to their probation officers and key workers and personal officers that they were changing. And I don't blame them simply because the way the system's set up, they have to show change to get out. And what better way to go to Grendon Underwood, a uh, therapeutic prison, and say, look, I've just got the, the American Express of psychology under my belt, uh, and I've dealt with my issues, so now can I come out? So I don't, I don't blame them for actually trying to pull the wall over. I believe that a lot of guys that went through there, their motivation was simply to get out because there was a reward at the end of it. But I also saw a lot of guys engaged in the therapeutic process, which which helped them. So even though it started off from bad intention, they learned so many things that made them a better person because they actually dealt with the problems of childhood trauma. Um, and, and, and they were more better equipped to come out into the world, more articulate, 
you know, their, 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 social, their social etiquette has gone or their social skills have gone through the roof. They dealt with boredom. They'd understood it. They dealt with ego, uh, embarrassment. They realised that it doesn't physically hurt. So, you know, you know, most people's fear of getting, uh, being embarrassed, they, you know, they're prepared to kill someone. Yeah. You know, even for getting, getting a smack on the jaw. They're prepared, to, you know, they're, prepared to, they're prepared to give out a disproportionate bit of violence, you know, compared to what it was simply because they were afraid of getting hurt. So, you know, there were so many things that I learned there about emotions, about, about myself, that equipped me to come out and do the things I'm doing now. Yeah. You know, I, 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 was, I, you know, I became a born-again Christian, which was, was, uh, was, was something I'd never even looked at. Did you go straight from Grendon then to the outside world? No, no, no. So I, did you go back? Do you have to go back to mainstream prison? Unfortunately, I had to, yeah, because I, I was early into my sentence. Um, right. What I'm curious about there yeah. is because obviously you've gone from using violence as a tool, which I can understand, and I appreciate you know, um, why you would do that, to then going through therapy and, and dealing with it, and as you say, writing down your thoughts and feelings. What's it like then to go back into a mainstream prison where you've not abandoned a tool that you use, but now you are able to reason and to be logical and think things through. What's it like then when someone is presumably uh, maybe not quite so rational? You know, well, I think I think um, the, the first thing, why going back to a mainstream prison? I think when you're in Grendon, the pressure's on you 24, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Sure. So you're under constant pressure, you know, from the way you walk, talk, your criminal code, everything, yeah? Mm-hmm. Everything's under scrutiny, the pressure's there. So the minute you leave there, the pressure's off. So you know what? It's, 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 a, it's a massive, it's a great feeling because now the pressure's off. So nothing that comes to you after Grendon is, it could, could affect you, you know? So going into a mainstream prison with all the violence, with all the drugs, and all the unpredictability of, of, of inmates, is that you started to see all the behaviours like they were in Technicolor. They were transparent. I saw them coming before they even started. You know, so that was the beauty of it. That reinforcement, that that that, uh, that, that criminal code of, of like, this all be one because we come from the same area, we speak the same blah, blah, blah. You know, that was now a thing of the past for me because now I actually meet people and I actually talk to them for two or three months before I then let them into my, my circle now. Because, you know, before I used to let people in that, that walk like me, talk like me, came from the same area. And, and said that Peter told me that you're a great guy and I know him. And so I then accepted him for face value. But And I end up walking around uh, exercise yards with, with, with idiots and people I didn't want to be with simply because I accept them into my life for no reason. They knew someone I knew. So now I was in a position to go, you know what, I'm now going to pick the people I want to be with. I'm not going to engage in all the shit that I used to, the drugs, uh, the, the, the bullying, you know, the protection and, and everything else. I wasn't looking after no one now apart from me. I was just going to, I was going to do the rest of this bird and I was going to get to a decap. I was going to get a job and I was going to be on my way home with a rent deposit scheme and a job and I was going to sail through life as if, you know, I can conquer anything. If, I mean, you say you wouldn't look out for anybody, but it had a, had a young guy in prison had come to you and said, look, I want to change. Would you have entertained helping? Them? I did. You know, I you know, I, I spoke to lots of guys. I you know, I I spent a lot of time uh, talking to guys that I used to listen to screaming on the phone at their girlfriends, and I say, you know what? I know why you're doing this because I bet you used to cheat when you were out. And they went, yeah. So I said, what you're doing is you're putting everything on there because you know how easy it is, it is now to be outside and your girlfriend phones and you have another bird in bed with you. You can lie like that. So now you're putting all that shit on there because every time you phone her. You're thinking that she's got a guy next to her and she's doing the same thing for you. You know how easy it is. So you know what you do? You're putting all that shit on her. So what you're doing, what you're going to do now eventually is that every time that she looks forward to your telephone call where you used to, 
You used to be nice and everything else. You're now going to dread the fact that you're going to phone her because you're putting all your shit on there. It's really important that you don't. So I, I think I saved a few marriages from that. Yeah. And I also, I also used to explain to them that is that things are going to change when you get out. You know, you know, and because this is what this is what happens when a man goes in prison. You know, they they, they drink, they take drugs, they womanize, they stay all night. They get they, they they their wives have got to wash their clothes, their dirty pants, everything. They got to pop with their arguments, their aggressiveness, and the, the car and everything. And all of a sudden, they they're in prison, and the wife realizes she's not as stupid as as he made her feel because now she's paying the bills. She's she's she doesn't have to put up with his shit. She's taking the kids to school. She's doing everything. And she's doing everything about doing all the shit that she used to carry on with him. So she's now empowered herself to actually live on her own. Yeah. So as, as I say, it's really important that when you go back, you just don't jump into the same way. Let her carry on the same as what she's doing and then edging slowly. Because if you go there trying to take control, you're going to you're gonna lose her. But she knows that she doesn't really need you no more. And all the shit, all the arguments that you used to put her through, she, you know, why would, why would you take that on? You know, as a woman, why would you take... Someone who's aggressive, drunk, and everything else. You know, why would you take that back on if, if you've had two years or three years of them being in prison and finally realised that, that it just isn't worth the aggravation? So, you know, so, you know, so I empowered the guys and I explained to them what was going to come. So, you know, I, I think I helped them. There's a few guys that I spoke to who I thought I got through to and they killed themselves. You know, they were starting 20, 20 year sentences. One young guy, a Somalian kid, I, I got, I friended him because he, he looked lost when he came in. I was on the surgery. I said to him, it's going to be all right. You're going to adapt. You know, things are going to get better. You know, nothing changes because you're in prison. You can still phone. You can still write letters. You know, you can still communicate. It doesn't stop. It doesn't have to end. You know, for a few days, it was all right. Next day, he never came down. And then, you know, they went up to his cell and he was dead on the bed. You know, so that was a, that was a loss. And I felt, I felt really bad about that. And my, a good friend of mine, Ash, he, uh, he, he'd done 15 years just getting out. And uh, we had dinner. He, uh, he, he'd done his washing. He cleaned his cell. And, and we were talking. We were, you know, we were talking in the evening, three of us, me and Chris, who was another lifer. And uh, the next morning, uh, the bell went off. I, I was still locked up. You know, I saw, I saw the help. You know, the screws come in, running about. The, the alarm went off. Then the, the, the healthcare department came over with a defibrillator. And on the, and their bags of, of stuff, and then the, and then uh, the ambulance came, and then I had an helicopter come down, and then they came in, and twenty minutes later, and I, they were weaning him out. I didn't know who it was at first, and then when I came out, I said it was him, and I, I was sort of shocked because I used to be a good judge of character. I thought, I thought I was, and I thought I understood everything. I never saw that behaviour though. You know, I think if you really want to take your life, you will. I think you know most people who try to commit suicide for a cry to help. They're crying for a reason because they want help. But I think the people that actually really want to do it are the people that actually succeed. And I never saw it coming. I was shocked because he was a really nice guy. And, and the fact that he'd done all his sentence and he had his last year to go, I felt that the, the, the prison system was missing something because I realised that, that a lot of guys who had a year to go killed themselves because of the, the, the fear of coming out, the fear of, of the, uh, the people that they've, they've killed or... You know, there's so many things that go through a, a life as mine. It's, you know, when you've taken someone's life and they've done 20 years, you know, you know, I, I don't know what goes through because I'm not, I've never killed anyone. Um, but I, I can, you know, I can only assume that that, that 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 builds up and builds up and builds up, and it comes out, you know, yeah. into the anxiety, and, and it builds up so much that they kill themselves. But something needs to be done because there's a lot, lot of guys who killed themselves before they come out, and there's a lot of guys who killed themselves within the first year of getting out. I'd like to ask you about the work you're doing now. 
which presumably is kind of in a response to your experience at Grendon and I, th- I think uh, you know I learned so much from at Grendon I learned to talk and I, I valued the cognitive therapy and the fact that that when I started talking about my problems and everything else it sort of got a lot easier you know that it wasn't compounded into to you know to anything other than actually talking you know you know we have a, a tendency as criminals or people to actually get instant justification we want it now so if anyone does anything to me, we want to go and sort it out now and this was happening when I came out because you know in the space of a year and a half I think we had five or six kids got killed in the area so we started up coming against violence two of them kids went to my, my girlfriend's school she's my girlfriend's a teacher and they died within six months of each other these two, two young kids Somali kids so we, uh, we had a march in in, in Camden Town um, and then after that we had we had three three one guy died got got stabbed and then we had three in one weekend. So, you know, so for me, it was about going to, I went and started doing talks in the school, saying about, telling them what prison was like, telling them, trying to empower them to sort of speak about their problems. And because, you know, if it comes out in violence and it comes out in carrying knives and everything else, you know, they're all going to end up doing 20 years. And when they're, when they're sitting in their cell and they finally realise that they're going to waste the rest of their life and they could just take my advice... Yeah, you know, uh, so you know, I think I think we've empowered a lot of the, the, the community around here. It's got a lot better. Uh, we've been, we've 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 empowered lots of the kids to come away from the gangs, which is great. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, we we've, we you know that we can only go as far as we could. We've got an office now, and, the, and some of the girls run it. The three girls: um, Rennie Horsford, uh, Mar- Marion, and uh, Michelle West. They put kids on apprenticeships now. You know, they, they've linked in with different organisations where the kid wants to learn to read, to write. Because the first thing I do when I go into schools is I, I talk about dyslexia. Yeah. And I say, is any, you know, I've got dyslexia, but I've wrote a book. You know, we've got yeah. modern technology now. We've got phones. We can, we've got predictive text. It's, like, it's fantastic. You know what? But the most important thing is you need to own that dyslexia. Because when you um, disrupt the class and you get, you get kicked out, you're only doing yourself a disservice. The most important thing is to own it. Because then all your friends in there will know what's going on with you. So they won't be able to laugh at you and say anything, yeah? Because if they do, they're not your friends. And also, it's really important that you own it simply because the school teacher and their teacher will know now and she will start teaching you in a different sort of way. She won't think that you're destructive, aggressive and confrontational because of your embarrassment. So I'm owning it. And then the kids will go, and one kid, I remember going over to the school across the radio. First of all, one kid put his hand on the side of his exit and the teacher looked at me and said, I never knew that. And then the other old kid said, I'm dyslexic. You know, so, so we was, I sat down with him after I finished the talk and, and we went through everything. And it was like, for me, it was like, it was a real good moment simply because now I knew I just turned two kids away from, from a life of crime because the only one, the only thing they was going to go was that way. And because now they've owned it, because you know, you can, there's so many things they could do now to, to combat that. So I'm hoping that these kids will go on. I'm hoping that they would learn and I'm hoping that they would get jobs. And I'm hoping that now they won't feel that embarrassment that I did and actually go down the wrong road. So you know what? So it's great. So that's that's one good thing that's come out of doing therapy. I then got involved with the Band of Brothers, an organisation that mentors men. It's about trusting other men. A lot of guys I meet uh, will self isolate. Yeah. Um, but they've got really good life skills. But only get to a certain age, they, they sort of withdraw. You know, they, they haven't they haven't dealt with their child dramas. You know, lots of guys I know are fifty two year old kids still because they haven't they haven't had that that, that right of passage from a from a, a boy to a man, they're still womanizing, still taking drugs, still drinking, still talking a load of crap. But you believe that they can change though, don't you? Sir? Everybody can change. Everyone's capable of change. You know, I think the minute you start talking about it, you know what, 
I met, I was talking to a guy online the other day, and I've known him forever. We never have a conversation from the time I've met him. He's always on the piss and everything else. And, and when he read my book, he actually said, you know what? My dad used to beat the shit out of my mum. And, and blah, blah, and this is why I am the way I am. And, and I always felt that I was useless. And I had to explain to him, you know what? You were a kid. When you look at it now, you're a man. You think to yourself, you know what? I should have done this and that. But you know, you need to take yourself back to being an eight-year-old kid or a 10-year-old kid. Because you can't be a man. You can't be a fully grown man. And you know, what you need to do is actually talk about that. So now he's, he's started talking about it. He said he's going to pack up drinking, he's going to pack up smoking, and he's going to do his thing. But that is just one. I've had lots of girls who seems resonated more so with women because because where their, their aggressors or their, 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 the people that attacked them are in prison, they still have that fear about them. I think what I've done, I've made them look at these guys for exactly what they are. They're insecure. Um, you, know, you know, most of them are quite mixed up. Um, but most of them are pathetic. You know, the ones that hit the women and, and rape and all that, they're, most of them are pathetic. You know, they don't, they, don't, they don't function good in society. And where these girls have their pictures of them are being monsters that were going to come back, they now look at these guys as exactly what they are. So what these girls are actually doing now, they're actually, one of them is actually writing a book. Uh, the, other, the other's actually gone to the police and actually said, like, you know, she was a victim of this. So I think it's empowered so many people on so many levels of book because everyone expected me to, to, you know, sort of really attack Brendan and tackle the people. But you know what? I've explained what these people yeah, are in for. Absolutely. But I've also explained the epiphanies that I went through all the way through. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I, you know, as I said, I can't come to any other conclusion is that therapy works on so many levels and it will empower you to move on with your life. It doesn't ever go. I'm not going to lie, you know, the, the, the feelings that you felt won't ever go. You don't lose sight of the fact of, of how your life was. But the fact is, is that what you do learn is you learn to manage it. Right. You learn to accept it and it doesn't affect you so much. You know, I tried to pack up smoking and drinking for years and I could never do it. But in the minute I dealt with all my problems, I didn't have to self-medicate no more. But I didn't realise it at the time until I came out in the sentence. I actually didn't feel the need to go and get drunk or even have a drink. And I've been out now four years. I still haven't had a drink. I still haven't had a cigarette. I, I really put that down to therapy and dealing with the fact I didn't have to bury it now subconsciously. You know, I've, I've now been able to move on. And where I used to spend so many days drinking, smoking and recovering, I now spend so much time helping. Yeah. You know, I, you know, just over this 10-week period of uh, the coronavirus and self-isolation, I started a company with my daughter and her boyfriend called Scoff Mills. Uh, we do nutritious foods and for the gyms and all that. But we had to shut down like everyone else. But instead of just sitting there, we actually put a call out to, to Vicky Patterson. We put, uh, you know, it was in Geordie Shaw and a few celebrities. And we also put a call out to uh, uh, some sponsors, uh, you know, McVitie's, the, loads, you know, the bread people, the soup people, all these all these companies, uh, even uh, popcorn, I think, you know, we had as well, yeah? They sent milks, they sent waters, they sent everything. We had a warehouse in um, Crouch End full. Now, we was only expecting to make care packages for uh, Age, Age UK, uh, the food bank, and, and, a, and, a, and a few of the homeless people. We thought it was going to last a week, but we had so much gear, we ended up doing 10,000 food packages over 10 weeks. Now, that's the boxes, that's the milks, and, and filling these up, they weren't, they weren't little boxes, these were big boxes. Yeah. And, I, I, and I spent the last 10 weeks giving them out to the homeless, uh, giving up to the held, going to their homes and everything. It's been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. I know as a criminal, I expected to be rewarded for doing jobs. I expected a good feel thing. But you know what? I never ever felt as good as I do now for doing good. Yeah, and and I, don't get, I don't get rewarded in money. I get rewarded in, in the way I feel. 
And it's such a great feeling. And the people that I attract towards me are so much better than the people I used to attract before. Criminality started off for me as, as me feeding myself and my family and my kids and everything else. It all, but it also brought with it the fact that I had to go out to clubs, I had to womanize, I had to meet certain people. So everything that I wanted to protect and love and, and nourish with my family, I ended up destroying because of the lifestyle I led. But now I don't do any of that, and I live the life I live now. I, I, I live on very little money. I've got a beautiful girlfriend. I've got, got the most fantastic dog called oh, Rudy. And you know what? Just going on walks and going on runs and doing doing things that actually help in the community, you know, is far much rewarding than some of the some of the stuff that I usually do. Last thing I'm going to ask you about um, is that you said that you wrote the book so that your daughters could understand what you went through in Brendan. Yeah. What was their feedback? Because the feedback on Amazon has been fantastic. Yeah. But was it was it difficult to show that to your daughters? Oh, I think it's the only thing that affects me. <laughs> uh, um, listening to to their feedback and and yeah, you know, for them to say, how did you do that? You know, why didn't you tell us? Mm. Um. It's been rewarding for me on so many levels because now it gives them an insight into who I am and what I went for as a kid because... Uh... Sorry. No, no, no that, that, that's all right, Terry. I, I, um, mm. This, this, this mm. has been... I just... I can't wait to put this mm. out there. This is an absolutely amazing conversation. Yeah, I think what it was for me, I was I never ever told them about my childhood. Yeah. So... And even though I don't, I don't cover it a lot now, it gives them a little insight into who I was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think for me, I think getting the book was rewarding. Letting them read it was even more rewarding. Um, and the feedback has even uh, has changed my life. Thank you very much for listening and thank you for your support. Hope you enjoyed that. Thanks again to Terry. There will be another podcast coming out very soon. I'm looking into the very interesting world, actually, of animal rights activists. So keep an eye out for that one, and I'll speak to you soon.